Please be seated. Turn to the next section uh, in our service where we honor and bless our children's presence among us. Uh, We do this uh, um, for among other reasons, uh, because Jesus says that the kingdom of God belongs to children. There's something about the posture of children and being with children that aligns us with God's kingdom that aligns us, we remember in Lent, with the way of the cross. So we honor and bless our children's presence among us. So, kids, uh, be ready for your part. Children of God, the Lord be with you as you worship. Amen. Father Paul. All the purple, I was having bishop trauma. That's something the postulants and the clergy will really relate to. Um, I, I had a liturgical crisis over the last week or two because the um, and bounced all over the calendar because this Sunday in the middle of Lent was St. Patrick's Day, and the next Sunday was St. Romero Day. And so I had this like multiple conflicting parts all within. I got all excited about the saints because, you know, I, I have an affinity for honoring the saints. And so I would text Father Seth several times, can I go with St. Patrick? Can I go with St. Patrick? And Father Seth being gracious, whatever the Lord leads and so forth. And then I, I think I want to go with Romero. Can I go with Romero? And he was like, well, whatever the Lord leads. And then I think that was all within one day, wasn't it? I think there was doesn't I don't remember and then finally I was like you know I don't want to break the rhythm of Lent so I'll just find a way to pack two saints into one Lent theme (laughs) so um, being in Lent with the two saints days fell within the Lenten season on this Sunday being St. Patrick's Day next Sunday the Feast of St. Romero of of El Salvador Um, at first thinking they, I would be caught or stuck between them, it, after a lot of reflection and reading, um, it looked like they actually went together, at least with what started coming up when I would reflect on the passages and reading and the lives of St. Patrick and St. Romero. And as Lent orients our disposition towards grace and prepares us for resurrection glory after the cross, our readings today highlight several themes that caught my attention and that seem to match the lives of the two saints that are sandwiched in this Lenten period here. It was uh, catching and stark because I would read in the Genesis reading this, in one translation, said a terrifying darkness that fell over Abram and, uh, and then things of fear and threats and stuff like that. And I thought, man, this is, it was kind of heavy. Um, and I thought, but Lent can be heavy as well. Our Old Testament reading has Abram being provided the promise of God's blessing, ultimately the salvific promise of God's kingdom. And it's interesting, God starts the discussion with Abram with, do not be afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever someone comes up to me and says, listen, don't be afraid (laughs) of what I'm about to tell you, 
God or not, <laughs> I'm going to tell God I don't, I'm not afraid at all in my intellect, right, my cognition. My emotions are, on the other hand, are on the other side of my brain, and they're not in alignment with my intellect in any way, shape, or form. So inside, when God, I'm thinking as I hear God say, do not be afraid, I'm imagining this and in myself, oh, oh, this is over, we're dead, this is going to go bad, this is going to be bad for me, this is going to be, but you know, I'll do what God wants, but I'm going to be scared to death on this, but I've got God, everything, I have faith, everything like that. So opening the discussion with do not be afraid, um, my immediate response is some type of fear that coexists with faith. And then God explains the promise of blessing Abram. And Abram responds by explaining to God how it doesn't look like it can play out the way God is describing. How can this be? Um, A child from another woman. How can your promise be fulfilled the way you're describing? And then God describes how he is with Abram and how he has helped him and how he will fulfill his promise, and responds to Abram's natural concern. And after he explains this, Abram sacrifices animals, and at the end of the reading, this darkness falls over Abram as he sleeps. And it's in that darkness that God takes the very action to fulfill his promise to Abram in darkness. Our New Testament reading begins with the religious leaders trying to instill fear in Jesus as he continues his ministry of deliverance and liberation as he journeys to the cross. And while the accounting in our reading is linear, and there's something about the narrative that is sad and also irritated me at the same time. Jesus here is in the process of healing others, helping others, while fully aware of his journey to the cross. And Jesus knows what Herod is, and I say what Herod is. Having Jesus' cousin killed, he was ruthless and brutal, a tyrant. And you see Herod alluded to and sprinkled throughout Luke's gospel like a thorn in Jesus' side, like he's stalking Jesus' ministry, but in the background. And Jesus describes him as a fox. And that word fox stuck out with me, fox in Lent. How many foxes do we have in Lent time? How many foxes do we have around us? I was listening to a talk by the late Malcolm X where he gave a conversation with the person interviewing him about distinguishing between wolves and foxes. Did I send this to some of you? Thank you. And he was talking about that some racists are wolves and they just come right at you at attack. They just come and attack hard. But then he talked about uh, some racist, and he was talking about conservative racist and liberal racist. And he says the liberal racist are the ones that are like foxes. They're sneaky about it. They talk friendly on the outside. They, They look like they're on your side, but then they try to sneak in the back way and kill the chicken. And when I heard that, I had it was very profound, and that came to mind when I was reading this. Wolves attack openly. Foxes are sly. They sneak up on you. They might run away briefly, but you never really chase them away, and they'll sneak back into the chicken house in a way you don't see them coming. This is the fox that was antagonizing our Lord. It was unsettling to think that Jesus, while pursuing ministry, is taunted, harassed, and intimidated while heading towards Jerusalem, a place 
with people that persistently rebelled against God, but who God never ceased to love. So Jesus' ministry of deliverance, healing, and liberation with the trajectory towards the cross was one he said he, quote, must go. St. Patrick and St. Romero exemplify the persistence to the resurrection through the cross, despite the fear, darkness, or foxes around them. St. Patrick was born a British Celt around the 5th century, and he was kidnapped by Irish slave traders when he was between 14 and 16 years old. And during his captivity, God called Patrick, and Patrick responded, despite being surrounded by paganism and spiritual darkness. He escaped around 20 years old, returned to England, and after returning to England and being reunited to his family, God was moving in St. Patrick's life through visions, through spiritual illuminations, where he was eventually called to be a priest and eventually became a bishop. And then this person who had been captured and enslaved by people from Ireland felt called to evangelize the very country that had held him in slavery. So he returned to Ireland and spent 40 years preaching the gospel and eventually converted that country to Christianity. We read St. Romero as the Archbishop of El Salvador. When he initially was appointed Archbishop, he was actually considered amicable by the leadership in El Salvador and by the leadership, the affluent families, the media, um, law enforcement, and the military. He was seen as someone who would do the ceremony, the pomp, to look religious and uh, look good, but not to disrupt anything, not to create any, make waves or create any chaos for anybody. But it wasn't until his dear friend was assassinated for helping the poor and speaking against financial oppression that Romero was moved to aligning himself with the marginalized and poor. And as Archbishop Romero increased his outspokenness and solidarity with the poor, he incurred the anger of his Herods, his foxes. And those Herods and foxes were found in economic media and in law enforcement. He stated, either we are working for the life of the Salvadorians or we are accomplices in their death. As he journeyed with the poor, offering hope and healing, he would eventually arrive at his own Good Friday as he spoke directly to members of the government and military, calling on them prophetically to lay down their weapons from hurting civilians. He was killed by government assassins while celebrating Eucharist, and he stated about his death, may my blood be the seed of liberty. When reading a book that I got from this Catholic bookstore out in San Diego or San Francisco, um, I didn't know this, but it's, it was it's it was unknown from anything I'd read about Archbishop Romero that he wasn't one naturally inclined to confidence and self-reliance. You would think that somebody who took on that position and, uh, and displayed such courage, but evidently he struggled with self-doubts about his abilities, his limitations, and his gifts. But through those doubts, God used him. So Lent with St. Patrick and Archbishop Romero reminds us that Lent is lived personally, but not in isolation. Lent calls us to reflect on and live in the life of Christ while facing our own fears, darkness,
boxes and the disbelief around us, as we move towards the power of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, these two saints highlight the importance of what I see as imaginative suffering and solidarity for those around us. Abram gazed at the stars and imagined through his own fear and darkness the children of God who would be recipients of God's grace. Jesus gazed towards Jerusalem with the cross in his mind and imagined a reality where people would respond to his call and his love. And St. Patrick gazed back to Ireland, the place of his slavery and captivity, and imagined those in darkness being liberated and freed by the power of Christ's resurrection. And St. Romero gazed across the landscape of El Salvador and imagined the power of Christ liberating captives and captors in the struggle to help the poor. In all of these circumstances, Abram, Jesus, St. Patrick, and St. Romero found the imposition of that which was personally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, or financially difficult as actually a liberating process whereby the discomfort of resisting the false comforts coexisted with the comfort that comes with resting in Christ and His grace. Discomfort and comfort coexisting in the same space. When the sleep and darkness fell over Abram, this is when God Himself made the covenant with Abram and walked between the sacrifice Himself. When the threats came towards Jesus, He declared that His kingdom would continue to deliver people despite the disbelief of others and the cross that was coming. Slavery, paganism, disbelief, and oppression and death threatened St. Patrick and St. Romero, but God delivered, converted, and empowered those who were touched by Christ working through them. Lent calls us into this imaginative suffering and solidarity with our Lord as we contemplate His work in us and for us, and it calls us into imaginative suffering and solidarity with others who walk in poverty and oppression. And um, we think about when we need to learn what God says about um, us and suffering and what God learns, and we need to learn about resting in God and learn what it means to trust in God. In, in therapy, there's something called a correct, we refer to something called a corrective emotional experience. Shan's probably familiar with that. Has anyone else heard that term? Okay. So the idea is that people can come in and cognitively understand and assimilate information that something that they believe that's not true is not true. So you can get someone in their cognition and intellect to say, oh, okay, it's not my fault that this happened to me. It wasn't my fault that I was taken advantage of. It's not my fault that I was hurt. So these negative things that I think about myself in this way that I think I'm, I'm horrible and I'm bad and I'm shameful, you can intellectually and cognitively understand that. But the emotional part of you and the affective part of you and the other part of, that makes us as persons, our intellect, will, and emotions, our will and emotions aren't necessarily healed or caught up with that. And so the idea in therapy is, is that therapy isn't simply conveying information and coming up with solutions. You're not simply a better problem solver than your friend or your lawyer or your their pastor or whatever, right? Um, 
but that something takes place in therapy where the client who's under duress or suffering, their emotions have a chance to experience something that corrects this horrible experience or this disaffected experience or this maladaptive experience that's had such a painful impact on the person. So in that therapeutic context through your, the environment you create, through the emotions you share back and forth with your client, um, the openness, the dialogue, the, f the freedom to uh, be yourself, the freedom, the, the client then experiences you being a certain way with them that conveys love that's not simply an intellectual or cognitive thing. It's an emotional, affective, experiential thing that's taking place with your client. And this is what we call a corrective emotional experience. So these negative emotional experiences, they're now experiencing corrective ones, ones that are good and healthy. So the totality of their person is involved, is being healed, not simply the cognitive or intellectual part of them, but the emotional parts being healed as well, the affective part of the person. And so when thinking about that in therapy, we re-experience or ask the clients to. And I was thinking about this when the psalmist talks about our Lord hiding us, concealing us, protecting us, sheltering us. I was thinking, well, what does that mean on a cognitive level and on an intellectual level? I can, I mean, I can cognitively understand what the words mean to protect, and I can cognitively and intellectually understand what the words mean to shelter, and I can cognitively and intellectually say this means this and this means that. But when it talks about our Lord hiding, concealing, and protecting, and sheltering, and not letting anything harm us, and when putting that in the context of Lent, which is tense and difficult at times, as we learn not to rest on things that, that replace what's for our ultimate good. This isn't simply an intellectual ascent that we know it. It's a process that takes place and that's highlighted during this Lent season. And it reminds us of what Paul calls in our epistle reading, this lowly body or lowly condition that we offer to Christ is being transformed into his image. This transformation process is our corrective spiritual experience and how we engage fear, darkness, unbelief, and foxes. And if we think about what are the fears and darknesses and unbeliefs that are in us or around us and what foxes hound us, these sneaky things around us that... Um, try to disrupt and disturb and unsettle us. Those things coexist at the time God's actually in the process of transforming us by his grace. And the experience of like Abram having to sleep in this deep darkness and Jesus having to walk through and hear the, the terrors and the threat and to look across at Jerusalem and see the unbelief and the lament and sadness he feels as he imagines what it's like for them to turn their back on grace by their free will, that he would willingly take them in. And when we think about uh, St. Patrick or St. Romero looking at the powers and oppositions that opposed and all the forces they faced, and while looking at all of that, they still saw grace within the same moment and the same experience there. And so all those other uh, disruptive, diabolical forces or things 
that try to come at us or come in us or around us. Grace is accompanying us through that and with that. And so, as opposed to just simply assenting to, we're asked to experience the transformation process. And if you're experiencing disbelief, if you see or feel, if you feel, I don't even mean see, but if you feel the foxes on, like, right behind you, or if you see and feel in some way that's not necessarily cognitive, the unbelief that's around you, that's not abnormal, that's actually normal. So even in the therapy process, I'm sorry to always go back to this, but that's where I'm always at, that the person talking about all the discomfort and unpleasant things is feeling discomfort in that therapeutic moment. So when they're talking about those things, it's uncomfortable, but at the same time, it's corrective and healing at the same moment. And so we have that going on in Lent, right? So Lent, there's some discomfort there. There's some things that feel uncomfortable and they may feel a little painful at times. And I don't mean self-inflicted or anything like that, but just the, by virtue of saying, okay, I'm not going to rest on the things that are, I normally am gravitating to, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm, even though this is really making me nervous and I'm really nervous and scared about this, I'm going to go ahead and try to really lean on grace right now. And that really feels uncomfortable. And then there's that comfort that walks along right beside it. And as you experience it, then that grows and grows. And then it overshadows and what Paul says eventually transforms you into the image of Christ. And we see this in our liturgical tradition as we approach uh, Father Seth for pastoral care, counseling, or confession as we approach the Eucharist where we partake of Christ's body and blood or if we engage in the liturgical life of the church where we enter into the presence of God during worship, the engagement is experiential. And it's processed so don't feel that there's something wrong if by a mental ascent that you still feel nervous or afraid or something. Because that's the normal process by which we are transformed. That's our corrective spiritual experience. So I'll just close with this Lent. We are reminded that God is with us in our fear. And when there is darkness around us and God works in us and through us, despite the foxes that threaten us, or the disbelief around us.